Lectionary Lab Live is recorded live in Gainesville, Florida and Brasstown, North Carolina. Welcome everybody to the Lectionary Lab Live. I'm John Fairless. I'm here with my Bubba, Delmer Chilton. Say hey, Bubba. Hey, Bubba. Hey, man. Good to hear from you today. Looking forward to getting up with you as we talk about texts and think about preaching entering this season of Lent for year B. Today's texts are for February the 18th, 2024. We've been talking it. We've been thinking about it. As I think we noted last week, it's here in a hurry early Easter this year. Tell me what you got on your mind today, Bubba, as we think about preaching and beginning this season of Lent. Well, if you look at the gospel lesson and say, didn't we just do that? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, kind of. (laughs) Yeah. Six weeks ago, the baptism of our Lord. This is the third time in this six weeks or so that we've had a voice come from heaven and speak to Jesus, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's familiar territory. And one thing you'll need to kind of do is, in your own head, sort out uh, how that falls out and how much you want to do with it. I mean, uh, just last Sunday you will have had a voice that comes and says, listen to him. This voice doesn't Mm -hmm. say that. It says, speaks to Jesus, not to the crowd. Yeah, and it all kind of fits in with what we've discussed, how we tend to think of the gospel story chronologically, but as it's being told here, it kind of shifts back and forth. And, you know, last week, the voice that they heard, the disciples heard, we're going, now remember, Jesus heard this a few, you know, earlier. Now we're back. Okay, we're back in, y'all. Well, yeah. And and one of the one of the things to think about with that is the emphasis today is not on the baptism. Different it's emphasis. on the wilderness. Mm-hmm. It's on the wilderness. There and is, the trans- yeah, as one of my seminary professors used to say, today we're putting the emphasis on a different syllable. Emphasis. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Verse 12, verse 12 yeah. here is the key. It is connected to the baptism. Verse uh Mark one twelve, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Mm-hmm. This is the connection with with um, Lent that we're wanting to draw, mm-hmm. and with what. And so we need to focus on twelve through fifteen with right. sermonic work today. And this is the text. I mean, Lent's one of those seasons. The gospel lesson will probably. Mm-hmm. So note my probably. Drive your uh, homiletical train. Yeah. Uh, there is uh, another thing to be aware of, as if you've got enough time early on. I don't know how some people plan way out in front, others don't. But if you haven't looked at this, realize all the Hebrew scriptures in this year for Lent have a covenant theme. Right. Today we have the covenant with Noah. Then next week, it's the Abrahamic Covenant. Mm-hmm. Third week, it's the Ten Commandments Covenant in the, in the, uh, in the wilderness. The, the fourth week is Broken Covenants mm. and, and the snakes on a, snake on a stick, as we like to call. 
you know, I lifted up as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, you know. That doesn't have anything to do with the old Cheech and Chong routine, chicken on a stick, does it? No, yes. no, but it does have <laughs> does have something to do with the the medical symbol of uh, the caduceus of, uh, yeah. of uh, the the snake the on the it's connected sort of sure. there. And then the fifth week, get back to my five, is the Jeremiah and the covenant will be written on your heart. So it is possible one might want to do what John and the more reformed brethren like to and cistern. As one of my Baptist preachers, he <laughs> it was the brethren and the cistern. Oh. And my brother and I always had this image yeah. of a big, big barrel, you know, <laughs> at the edge of the house catching rainwater. The brethren and the cistern um, may want to do a series sure. on uh, covenants, right? As a way, of, and and it's a good one it because it's one. talking about the progression of how these covenants worked. Uh, the deepening of the covenants, and ultimately the breaking of the covenants so so desperately. And what does Jeremiah mean about a new covenant on our hearts? So, Absolutely. so just be aware of that. But each of those also connects with the gospel lesson for the week in an interesting kind of way. So, the ba- as I said, the baptism story for Lent, focus on 12 through 15, the wilderness and after. Which I think the connection with covenant is, we'll come back to that, is that Jesus trusts God Hmm. to keep God's covenant. Because, so you can see, I'm just going to start here and then move over back into Genesis. But here's Jesus coming up out of the baptism moment and the Spirit has spoken, you're my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. There's a covenantal feel to that Mm -hmm. that goes back to a hebrew scriptures covenant the basic key covenant is i am your i will be your god and you will be my people Mm -hmm. this one is i am your father god and you are my beloved son Mm -hmm. and and then the spirit wove him into the wilderness and all this about the wild beast and satan Mm -hmm. in the midst of that jesus Trust God to keep God's covenant, the Father to keep God's covenant. How does Jesus make it in the wilderness, and why do we have this story, and why is it so important? It is all about kind of getting into that background, but why would he? Why would he endure, you know, this this wilderness experience? Well, there's a basic covenant there, and a, a little little hook of a line between the Genesis text, which we're about to get to. This is God speaking to Noah and his sons. And the voice at baptism is, you're my beloved son. And so, yeah, a little potential play around there. Let's go into Genesis a bit. Okay. This is post-flood, and nobody's left. Nobody else to talk to. Noah and his sons and, and whatever wives and children that don't get included in the conversation. And it's kind of like God says, you know, my bad. <laughs> Can we have a do-over? Can we have a do-over? I mean, this I, I'm laughing, but it is one of those stories that you you look at it theologically, you say, God built the earth. Everybody got so bad, he just couldn't take it anymore. Hmm. 
and he killed them all except except for this guy. I'm gonna save this. Who was righteous and built the boat? And you know there've been movies and spoofs. Evan mm-hmm. Almighty or whatever. What was his name? Yeah. The with the boot the Steve Carell uh, being Evan. Steve Carell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and all of that. And you're you're going. All right, what is the point of this story? Now, as my daddy taught me a long time ago, when I was worried about Jonah and the whale, arguing about the facticity is a way of avoiding the theological and spiritual truth. Very true. Daddy didn't say it that way. Mm -hmm. I came to that understanding, but that's what he taught me. So the question is, take the text on, on the page as we have it. So they got this story in which... God has flooded the earth and killed everybody but Noah and his family. Mm-hmm. And now he says, you know, all right, maybe I shouldn't have done that. That's really what he says in this story. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Mm. And I promise you, I'll never do it again. Yeah. Now, if I'm Noah and the son and family, I'm thinking, all right, we got by this time. But we see what he's capable of. You you would think, but we know this story continues and doesn't end yeah. particularly well. But anyhow. Uh, well, it, yeah, no, but you would think that they'd come out going, you know, intimidated at yeah. the very least about what can happen. <laughs> when our, Which is. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, that that is part of the thinking of this. Hey, my. my Bible study group study of Genesis last year, we sort of dug into these. And one of the the questions that kept coming back up, well, well, why didn't they learn the first time? And I'm going, do you think maybe that's part of the story? Do we ever learn? That's it. And so, yeah, those are the kinds of things you got to, you got to dig out. So here's the, here's the, you know, and we always talk about repent being changed as his mind. And, and there's the, the human element in talking about who God is. This is the theology. You're talking about who God is. So we're not going to try to get into the mind of God or any of that sort of thing. But what is the theological point they're trying to make is that eliminating human beings will not eliminate sin. Mm. <laughs> Except if you don't have any human beings, the humans aren't around to sin anymore. But that's not going to work. And this kind of intimidation is not going to work. That's the other thing. It's the, it's the human nature. So God makes a commitment here, which is really a theological statement of saying, God loves us no matter what. And the rainbow in the sky is a promise. One, one, one commentator said, but look, remember, look at the text. It is a reminder to God, not to the people. Mm. Yeah. It says, God says, I, I will, will I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant. Mm-hmm. God will remember that. And so this is a word of assurance, but it's also an awareness by the writer of sin. Human beings sin, and it's not God's nature mm-hmm. anymore, if it ever was. Mm-hmm. This is kind of this, what would happen? I think this is a story that's, what would happen if God just decided, like these other guys, to wipe, throw the thunderbolts and wipe everybody uh, I was going to say, this is the most Zeusian moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. God saying, when I've got my arm up ready to hurl a lightning bolt, I'm going to see the rainbow. And yeah. I'm not going to do that anymore. Yeah. And so this is, this is a way for the writer to assure people, God was not going to do that. If the culture says God did that, you know, and all of the 
whatever explanations are of the why there was floods and what they thought had happened and how this is the Hebrew theology of saying God's not going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Because he under God understands that's not how we deal with it. How mm-hmm. we deal with this is going to be a different way, which is through covenant and commitment. Right. And in the functioning of the story that's being told, and here we're early yeah. in the story of Genesis, this is sort of a precursor covenant. And there are other sort yeah. of mini covenants all along the way with what we often refer to as the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant that's right. coming in chapter 12. Well, you've got kind of a precursor here. God's right. making a covenant, which I love to note that it is not only with Noah and, and his sons, the humans, but is with every living creature, all of creation. Yeah, this is God's covenant with the cosmos, the, the world. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and what I I draw a connection there for me always is that when it says I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of flesh that is on the earth. John three sixteen for God so loved the cosmos, cosmos, all which it is. could be every living creature hmm? everything Definite reflection the world whatever the world is god loves that mm-hmm. is why christ came it's a consistent picture yeah this is a um, christian tradition this is a vibration set humming by god that continues throughout time and eternity right. yeah absolutely so pay remember this because in peter there's going to be drawn a connection between the flood and baptism which is going to be mm-hmm. Not going to be my kind of logic to figure out how that connection works, <laughs> but, but it's a theological is. statement yeah. nonetheless. Yeah. Psalm twenty-five is um, is pretty much a kind of a confessional moment. Twenty-five-seven is the confessional line. This is a, a Lenten kind of feel. Mm-hmm. Or do not remember mm-hmm. the sins of my youth or my transgressions. Um. I, I would, after that semicolon there, I would probably put, uh, if I were translating, but, because I love that word, but, according to your steadfast love, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. I love that line because it plays with memory. Do not remember this, and do remember your me according to your steadfast love. That links back. Mm Mm-hmm. To the cov- the rainbow and the covenant, God remember your promise, remember your covenant. Um, I mean, the structure of this is um, the opening for a few verses is do not let, do not let, do not let, do not let, don't let my don't let me fall. Yeah. Basically, don't let go. Please hold on to me. And then there's a plea for instruction, which I find interesting. Um, a plea for teach me what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Let me know your way. Teach me your path. Lead me in your truth. Be mindful of your mercy. Remind it. Mm-hmm. And it says, so please don't don't remember those things. Yeah. I I know I'm likely to stumble and fall. Help me. Don't you know, don't let me fall. Right. Or if I fall, maybe not so flat on my face. But if I do, oh please, teach me. Uh yeah, there's an and, openness yeah. of the prayer here. And then it then it comes in verse 10, it comes back to that word covenant for those who keep his covenants and his decrees. Now, 
that can have a kind of God's good to them that do what he says. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but I see it a little bit differently that it's through the teachings mm-hmm. that we receive the blessing. Uh, that is to say, it's not, if you climb that highest mountain, because I said so, then I will give you mm. this $100,000. So mm-hmm. it's not that kind of transactional thing. It is, if you follow my decrees, blessing will follow because you're living life the way mm-hmm. it was intended to be lived. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's like with the Ten Commandments, the latter section, the uh, second table, human society benefits and you are blessed when people do not commit adultery and don't lie and don't Don't steal steal. (laughs) and don't kill each other. You see, you know, that's the blessing in itself, not you get arduously do this stuff and then you get blessed. The blessing in and of itself is living the life according to God's steadfast love and mercy. Yeah, it's not the mouse and the cheese. This is or the carrot and the stick or whatever. Uh, And and remember, too, maybe this is a little helpful in that verse 10. Remember this parallel nature of Hebrew poetry, and it's one yeah. idea coming out of or expanding on the other. It's yeah. not saying, hey, you got to do B to get A. All the right. paths of the Lord are steadfast love. There's your chesed. There's your covenant love yeah. and faithfulness. And then an expansion on that for those who keep his covenant and decrees. It's it, it, You've already pointed it out. It's not you got to do this yeah. to get that. It is in one way the blessing lies and comes out, and so it's a beautiful continuation. And it's another another reminder for me uh, that the quote gospel is all over the Hebrew scriptures. It's everywhere. It's everywhere, and and those folks who try to contrast the wrathful God of the Old Testament with the sweet, gentle Jesus just don't under haven't explored deeply enough. The connection. You're right. There is no dis- right. there is no disconnection. It's a story. So First Peter uh, three eighteen through twenty two contains one of my uh, favorite images, just because um, three nineteen contains one of my favorite images because nobody knows what it means, <laughs> but it it worked its way into the Apostles' Creed. He also went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, as a way of saying he descended into hell. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Who knows? Who the hell uh, knows? The medieval days, they had a thing called the harrowing of hell, in mm-hmm. which in that period Jesus went, and it's based on this, in which he went to preach to those in prison who in former times did not obey. That Apparently it's all those folk who got killed in the flood. Mm. And he went and gave them a chance to get out of, you know, who knows. Yeah. Uh, the harrowing of hell, it was an image, and there are paintings of it, of Jesus triumphantly coming out of the grave, and he's leaving Leading. behind him this progression, some of whom are, he brings out of hell all the righteous who had not had an opportunity. I, you know. I won't I get too sidetracked on that today. <laughs> no, no, I just, I it's just wonderful. like to say. Yeah. Uh, if, if that image is there, and when people say, well, where's that descended to the dead in the Bible? Now you can point well, them to First Peter 3, and, 19. Make of it what you will. Well, and as you often point out, uh, 
you never know when there's somebody actually listening to the text or maybe even reading along with them that are going to come up after and say, preacher, I'm just looking at this spirits in prison thing. What's that all about? And you you need to be able at least to demonstrate you kind of thought about it. Let me say, I I wouldn't necessarily preach on that at all, but I'd be aware of it in case somebody wants to talk about it. That's the point right there. You got to know that you can't say, well, I'm not preaching on that and don't think about it. You better be ready. You never know. Yeah. So the Lenten text for me, the key line is the first line, which pretty much uh, this this text, all 18 through 22, is a summary, a charismatic summary with some baptismal theology stuck in it. Okay. Because mm-hmm. what you got is, for Christ also suffered four sins once for all. He's talking about how we suffer. And then he goes to the because or for, got to remember, Jesus suffered. For sins once for all, it's the righteous for the unrighteous, the holy exchange, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So we've got life, death, resurrection, mm-hmm. suffering, and then it's got this 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 excursus <laughs> over into what did he do while he was dead, kind mm-hmm. of thing. In the spirit, going and preaching to the spirits and all that. But then he makes this interesting connection because he says he's talking to the folks who were uh, did not obey when God patiently waited in the days of Noah in which a few, that is eight persons, were saved through water. Mm-hmm. So Noah and etc. were saved through floating on the water which... Baptism, which this prefigured, so he's making this shift to talk about baptism and our baptism, which doesn't remove the dirt, uh, but an appeal to God, etc., through the resurrection. The logic can take the images without worrying too much about the logic. There's what I'm saying. What he's trying to say is somehow baptism incorporates us into the resurrection of Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can buy that. How he got there, I'm not sure. Yeah, kind of like those folks, Noah, the eight, that they entered the ark. Okay, there's yeah. a, there's an expression of faith and trust. Okay, if you say so, and they were saved. Well, yeah. we enter baptism. It may come a little more out of my long years of my Baptist tradition. It is an expression of your faith. You enter the waters of baptism as Noah and the family entered the ark, and somehow through all this floating around or getting dunked or getting water on your head or sprinkling, you know, the sign of the cross on your forehead when you're a young and however, or the the guy with, uh, you know, the the eunuch and in Acts that said, "Here's some water. Why can't I be baptized?" You know, with Philip. Yeah. All of that works somehow. Yeah. And 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 yeah. Yeah, and the story here for what I want to get at more importantly for us in Lent is three eighteen connects to the end of three twenty one and three twenty two for a total charisma. You know, for the story of Jesus, the resurrection who has gone into heaven at the right hand of the angels, authorities, and powers. So, you got life, death, resurrection, ascension. He will come in on, and in the middle yeah. of that, he's making a case for our baptism into that resurrection as a part of it, which is a connection between the Genesis text, which is the flood story, 
and the gospel text, which is the baptism, which is that kind of line gets drawn there. But uh, one of the things to note, if you want to go into some of this text, is this is really an exploration of what does Christ's death do? Hmm. What is Christ's death about? And Christ's death was sacrificial. Christ's death was atoning. Hmm. Christ's death was comprehensive once for all. Christ's death was reconciling. It brought us to God. Christ's death was not final, neither for Jesus, and our death is not final because of the resurrection. And it is universal, again, for all time, for all space and eternity. In case you just feel like having a word study sermon (laughs) about Christ's death, it's all right there. And yeah, let me tag on the one I remember from my youth and hearing some of the, what I called generally kind of the old preacher statesman is the stately language. Christ's death and this baptism that is associated with it is efficacious. 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 Uh, I I don't think I would use that in a sermon, but I love rolling it around and going, what does that mean? It affected something. So, Yeah, it caused something. Efficacious, it it made it happen. So there was W.W. Finlator was pastor of Pullen Memorial Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. (laughs) I was just thinking of this story, so go ahead. (laughs) So in 1972, three or four, I don't remember what, I was a student at... Guilford College, and I was interested in, I wasn't a Baptist, but I was interested in all kinds of Baptist theology and (laughs) things of that nature. And I volunteered to be a page at the North Carolina Baptist Convention, which was meeting at the Memorial Auditorium there in Greensboro. Mm -hmm. I was handing out papers and things, and they were debating whether or not to throw out Pullen Memorial, Wake Forest Baptist, which was the Baptist church in the town of Wake Forest, where Southeastern Baptist Seminary was, mm-hmm. Waite Chapel, W-A-I-T Chapel, which was a congregation um, at on the campus at Wake Forest University in Winston-Salem, Myers Park Baptist in Charlotte, and believe it or not, First Baptist Church of Nashville, North Carolina, a little small town <laughs> pastored by a man who later became a Methodist minister who had been an American Baptist, why he took a call in Nashville, North Carolina. And they were throwing them out because they accepted as transfers people who had been baptized by as infants or by sprinkling, mm-hmm. not by immersion as adults. Mm-hmm. A bunch of Pado Baptists didn't want them to yeah. They, mm-hmm. they didn't want those. They wanted to throw all those out, and they were arguing about it. And Dr. Finlater got up and said, I, I am W.R. He was one of those statesmen Stately you're talking about yeah. with that stately kind of language. I am Dr. W.R. Finlator. Uh, Pullen Memorial Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. I would like to know how many people in this room believe that baptism is efficacious Efficacious. for salvation. In other words, and if you don't know what that means, it means do you have to be baptized in order to be saved? I see not a hand. I didn't expect to. Well, if it 
is not efficacious for salvation, what damn difference does it make how much water is involved? <laughs> he knew he was getting thrown well, out. He knew he was on the way out, but what a great, uh, yeah, what a great he, he, he wanted. He wanted to uh, uh, get, you know, don't let the good Lord <laughs> on the way out the door, yeah. man. He was. That was cool. I was. I, I at that moment I think is when I decided I wanted to be a pastor just to tell people off religiously. Maybe oh, I don't know. Awesome anyway, moving on. Moving on. Uh, and moving on to yeah. Let's go get ahead. to this. Well, very slight connection. Again, I'm just playing around the edges here uh, with the, that verse 22 that ends up. Uh, yeah. We're now hearing in the after effects. This is Christ who's gone into heaven at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject. And you go, well, he's seen these angels and stuff before, because we're yeah. about to hear in this gospel yeah. story who was out there with him: well, wild animals and some angels. Hmm. So, yeah, as I said six weeks ago, we did the baptism of our Lord. This is the beginning of this text. I think, would uh, as a preacher, if I were preaching on this text this Sunday, I would, and I will be writing a sermon on this text. Well, the thing to do is focus on 12 through 15 mm-hmm. about the mm-hmm. Spirit driving him into the wilderness and the wilderness experience in the connection with the Lenten experience. Uh, as usual, with a minimum of words, but a maximum of action words, um, Mark makes a very interesting case. I would like to warn myself and others against homogenizing the temptations here. Yeah. Do yeah. not leap into the stories from Matthew and Luke. Up and on the temple. and Up, up on the temple. Yeah. It's not the text. And mm-hmm. Don't go there. there. you got plenty to work with right here. So um, <clears throat> the connection here is there's a real direct link in what Mark is talking about with the tempta- baptism and temptations with the exodus of Israel, children of Israel, through the wilderness. Mm-hmm. You've got through the Red Sea, they went through the waters to safety. Jesus comes up out of the baptism, and then the place of safety he's driven into the wilderness becomes a place of trouble and trial. Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days. The children of Israel were in the wilderness for 40 years, so you've got that. There's this interesting line of drove, of the spirit Mm -hmm. immediately drove him into the wilderness. This is... This is similar to what we have in in just the language, the same word about driving the animals, mm-hmm. compelling, thrusting them out, same same concept. It's a throughout, mm-hmm. forced, same, <laughs> no choice. Same word we read a lot in Mark, he drove out the demons. Yes. Yeah, get, on. It was, get on, out get on, out of here. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not a, would you please leave? Um, calling security, <laughs> security, 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 security. No, it's you can almost. I would almost. The Holy Spirit acts as a bouncer. <laughs> Back of the deck, belt, 
Through the swinging doors. Yeah. Into the wilderness. Well, if you all, several of you I notice have signed on to our uh, conversation we had with pastors a couple of weeks ago. And my apologies, I did not take the time to get everyone's name to give due credit. But one of you brought this wonderful image from your seminary professor of this dove who we see all kinds of depictions and we think, oh, it was so lovely. The dove floats down and lights on Jesus. All of a sudden, this dove becomes, I think you, Baba, said, you almost imagine shifting into like an eagle with talons, you know, and comes down and says, get out, get out. And then you got this, this heavenly dove pecking and clawing and, it driving this yeah. uh, Jesus yep. to the wilderness. <laughs> Whoa! In much the way, same way, the children of Israel ultimately ended up getting cast out of out of the out of Egypt. You know, mm-hmm. driven out in some ways, chased out. We had so, enough of y'all. These plagues go on. Yes. So this and tempted by Satan, tempted. For us, and the way in which we do it, temptations actually, in modern culture, if we're honest, has become a kind of a positive thing. Mm. Ooh, that aroma just tempts Ooh. me to go, you know, mm. it's it's kind of like, I'm kind of thinking I want to, and it might not be good for mm. me. Uh, you know, we give up chocolate and all, of, you know, it's uh, the temptation becomes a minor level mm. thing or a thing that says, if it weren't for cultural bias or the fact that, you know, all these various reasons, but I would really like to indulge in this, this is not what this tempted is. This is tested. This is tried. This is... Uh, Literally, like trial by fire as a, trial by a, fire. a smith yeah. tempering yeah. metal. And stretching it, and beating it, and hammering it, and heating it. This yeah. is this is the word, uh, yeah, for being tempted or tested here. Tried, tempted, or, or tried, tempted and tried. We're off, made to wonder. My old gospel songs that Jesus has put there for to be trained. Sometimes with train that kind of thing, you're being trained mm. for the task ahead. You know, you emerge from the wilderness hardened and prepared mm-hmm. and in shape. Mm-hmm. This, this is this is all the imagery there that Satan is doing. And Satan is the op- op- opposer. And so you look at the children of Israel, and they come out of Egypt, and they come into the wilderness. Some would call it a rabble, but certainly not ready to be a country. Mm-hmm. Not ready to be a people. Not ready to be a, a nation, not ready to be a community, and they go through. You know, we 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 all. Let me refrain. Sometimes we say, "Well, if they would just have done what Moses said and just have been obedient," I don't think they were capable. Missing the point. I, yeah, missing the point. The time there was what it took to shape them, and the mistakes they made were the ones they had to make to learn from. Mm-hmm. And the things they they wanted food and they demanded it and they had to learn how that works. They had to learn what obedience meant. They had to learn what it meant to work together as a community. They had to learn how to govern themselves with the seven dealers. They had to learn how to do these things because ultimately when they went in, Moses didn't go with them. They had to become a community and the only way they did that was not by magic. Hmm. Yeah. 
not but by working walking through jesus was tempted and then it the wild beast it was real danger not pretend danger <laughs> you know the danger that jesus was in the children the danger the children of israel were in was real danger yeah some of them died you know real life he was with the wild beasts. It was a dangerous place. And the they waited on, and the angels waited on him, not when he was done. Then they came up and said, oh, you did good. Here's your water and all this. They were with him throughout. Mm. God was present. The presence. In, the presence of God in the angels was with them. Yep. Throughout his 40 days in the wilderness through the temptations through the dealing with the wild beast but did not pluck him up and remove it from him did not keep him from going through it but was with him and waited on him and went through it with him um so first of all what mark has done here Mm. has done a trope of jesus go mark going through the wilderness as following the path that the children of Israel followed through the wilderness as he comes to the point where he emerges from the wilderness and begins to preach. It's also interesting that uh, the next line is, now after John was arrested. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, that... He comes, this is part of that whole dynamic of Jesus and John, and what is their place? John baptizes Jesus, and then they does these disciples. But Jesus is seen as continuing the ministry of John in terms of proclaiming the good news, repent, the kingdom is at hand, as it were. The kingdom of God has come, repent, believe in the good news, which is essentially the same name message that john has so there is a connectivity Mm -hmm. but jesus is demonstrated as furthering that ministry of what john the baptist has done gonna go on from here and the last the last thing i want to mention here is for even with jesus the temptations were not over after 40 days Um. Especially if you connect to what I think is a a very evocative image, and I hadn't thought of it. You said it. This translation of tempting as training, being trained. Jesus is subjected to whatever that was. He is being strengthened. He's being trained because there's a lot more, even worse, coming. And Jesus is being prepared. And what's going to eventuate in the story of Holy Week and suffering and crucifixion um, is is a lot worse. And so this Savior, and I, I want to get to a point in a moment, but I want to be sure you've had a chance to finish up. But that is opening a whole new thing for me, Bubba. Wow, Jesus being trained here, being strengthened, not just going through. Sometimes I think we cheapen our theology when we say, well, Jesus had to go through everything we did and be perfect so that he could be the one to die and take away our sins. Be careful with that line of yes. thinking. 
This yes. is not, by any stretch of the imagination, just some meaningless suffering had to go through. He is being trained, prepared, it's, strengthened. Yeah, It's real. Yeah. And the thing is, then the rest of the book, you can look and see the ways in which he gets tempted. I think... I think the a story we recently had in which he's healing and heals um Peter's mother in law and then everybody brings wants him to heal and then they gather around and wants him to do more healing. Well of course they're in the midst of admiring him and all of this. And what does he do? He walks He away. leaves. Mm-hmm. And that's resisting a temptation. I think the messianic secret is a part of resisting a temptation to be diverted. From the path, I think you read through there, he continually talks about, this is what I have to go and this is what I have to do. I think continually Jesus has to resist the temptation of that he learned how to resist in the wilderness. He got told, you are my beloved son. The spirit came down and in that moment he had to learn. And there later in what it meant to be the Messiah. And later you begin to read in New Testament letters about Jesus learning through obedience. What is this obedience? This obedience he learned in the wilderness to turn away from these temptations and stay to his hand to the task of taking up the cross. And so here we are in Lent, and we we are being invited to take up a cross and follow Jesus and part of that is how do we keep our eyes ahead mm-hmm. and resist the various temptations that will lead us astray from following the cross? Yeah. Now, this is not saying your mind invitation to you is to be a a suffering martyr. You know, don't don't do the uh, southern. Passive aggressive mother. How many pa- southern passive aggressive mothers does it take to change the light bulb? None. Don't mind me. I'll just sit in the dark. Y'all mm-hmm. just go on. I'll be fine. You know, don't don't do. That's not what this is about. Mm-hmm. This is about do not find a way to follow to say you're following Christ that keeps yeah. you from having to do the necessary suffering <laughs> for others that comes with it. Yeah. All of these things lead into something that emerged from our uh, Linton workshop retreat, which is now several weeks ago, back in January. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we, uh, just like the Zoom conversation we had, and and just like always happens in retreats, things are enriched when we have the chance to talk about these in community. And our pastors that were there on the retreat helped us open up some great things. One of the things that came out, and you probably got the ball rolling on this, Bubba, was an overarching question throughout Lent now. What does it mean for Jesus to be the Christ? Now we've gone from um, Epiphany, the Christ revealed, who, who is this? To a, a a deeper level in Lent, well, what does it mean for Jesus to be the Christ? And I think this is the opening story about that. Uh, a, a, a second question comes right behind it for us. Yep. And what does it mean for we who are followers of this Christ, imitators of Christ? I think today we see that with the baptism and the temptation that both affirmation from God 
and the temptation, the testing, and the trying are necessary for Jesus to be the Christ. And as followers, there are going to be at least measures of the same thing. Understanding that we too are the beloved, that God is with us as the covenant with Noah, as the covenant with Abraham, as the assurance that Peter is writing to his uh, congregations. Um, God is with us. That is not an escape from the vicissitudes of this life. There's two great words, vicissitudes and efficacious. Uh, it, I, uh, life is, is hard, and, and yeah. it, we are being trained, and we are being called. So if it meant this for the Christ, for Jesus to be the Christ, we are going to receive some measure of these the same things. And in this case, both affirmation and the temptation, the trying, and I'm going to stick with your word, the training. I love it. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Good stuff. That, I think you've hit the, the question you should put. I think one should put above their desk or on their computer or whatever as they study for preaching through this Lent. Two questions. Who is Christ, really? <laughs> and if Christ is this, what does that mean for me who has been invited to follow? Bingo. Amen. Hit the nail on the head. You're right up in there amongst it. However, <laughs> all of the above. Wow. All of the above. All right. I'm going to tell you, folks, we got a rich journey of Lent ahead of us. These are great texts. I hope you're having the time to uh, look ahead and begin to work through them. And do let them sit with you and look week to week how these things connect. Because um, however your view of inspiration of these texts comes out, there's some brilliant stuff going on here, and uh, these texts are fantastic. All right, Baba, thank you for leading us through. We'll be back next time. But as for today, I don't reckon there's much else for us to do other than to tell everybody bye. Everybody bye. Lectionary Lab Live is a Two Bubbas and a Bible production. Our opening theme is Top of the Morning, performed by Track Tribe. We go out today with a beautiful little setting of a gospel hymn, I Must Tell Jesus. The words are by Elisha Hoffman, and this arrangement is performed by Mary Barrett. In my distress, he kindly will help me. He ever loves and cares for his own. I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus, I cannot bear my burdens alone. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, Jesus can help me, Jesus alone. Tempted and tried, I need a great Savior, one who can help my burdens to gain. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, He all my cares and sorrows will share.
Jesus alone.